You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. Thank you for joining us here on the program. Before we start, I want to thank all the members of Wall Plus, our Patreon, which you can visit at joinwallplus.com. That's W-A-L. You're going to learn about all the great benefits of subscribing. You're going to get access to the bonus show every Wednesday night, our weekly show just for patrons, access to the complete archives of the show, ad-free episodes, and you'll be supporting this great program where you're going to learn a lot. We want to especially thank our $100 a month members, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jakey Dell, Matthew Durbin, Ryan Hold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast. We have a great conversation today. It is with Addison Hosner, who is a licensed Florida attorney, and uh, he is in Fort Myers, Florida. And we are so jealous that he is in the great state of Florida because it's sunny and beautiful there and still cloudy and snowy here in Indiana. Uh, he holds, uh, he's, he's got all kinds of degrees, Creighton University School of Law, uh, and he is also a Young Voices contributor. So we are excited to talk to him today about, let me just fade this music down, about the, the revolving door. Basically, Congress is using you as a piggy bank, and there is a lot of insider trading happening in Congress, and it is bipartisan, by no means. Greed does not end with just one party or another. And they have access to all kinds of inside information as the government starts to put itself into control more and more uh, of the economy. They put themselves in a position where they can start selling stocks based on what, like for instance, you know, Addison writes in this great article at spectator.org, insider trading and Congress, a love story. He writes, Pelosi's comments came after she was questioned by reporters about a scathing series from Business Insider uh, when the nation was facing the COVID-19 pandemic without knowledge of when a vaccine would arise. At least 75 federal lawmakers held shares of Moderna, Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer, all of which eventually benefited from the nearly six trillion dollars in relief bills to produce, manufacture and distribute vaccines to the American public. Congress was directly involved in the creation and passing of these relief bills. So they are in a position. Now, if you work in the industry of finance or banking, you have a ton of regulations on you, a ton of apparatus that Congress has created to watch over, to make sure that you are behaving, that you are not using insider knowledge. You obviously remember Martha Stewart going to prison for insider trading. And so I invited Addison on to talk a little bit more about this. And here is my conversation with Addison, excuse me, Addison Hosner of Young Voices. We're so glad to have you here. And I saw your article in The Spectator, Insider Trading in Congress, A Love Story. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it. Let's just start with a basic definition. What is insider trading? And then what is insider trading in terms of Congress? Okay. So insider trading for the uninitiated is just a moniker given to people or organizations who are able to get a hold of information that is considered insider information, meaning it's not publicly available. You then use this information that uh, you reasonably are relying upon to make an influential purchase in the stock market or to sell a stock. And it is based upon that information that you know there's going to be a movement to occur. So if you or I do something like this, let's bring up Martha Stewart, for example. 
we think that Tesla is going to drop in shares tomorrow. We have an insider telling us buy today and sell in three days. We do exactly that. We make a killing. We're, we're kings, right? Wrong. We're facing potentially 20 years in federal prison. So that is insider trading in a nutshell, just information that you are getting from an inside source that the public isn't privy to and using it to your own benefit. Now, when we talk about this in terms of Congress, congressional members, there was a very scathing report from Business Insider late last year about this, where we have dozens upon dozens of lawmakers using insider information, but they're not getting that insider information directly from companies. No, they're getting that information from the uh, committees they are currently sitting on. So, for example, 75 lawmakers back in 2020 uh, bought stocks in Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson right before the $6 trillion relief bill went into place that then gave that money directly to those three companies. Well, those lawmakers who held those stocks had direct votes into getting $6 trillion given to those companies. That, that's a conflict of interest. That's a, that's a very broad example. But that is what essentially a lot of congressional members are using, which is information gleaned from committees that is going to impact the stock market based upon the bills they write and vote for. So that's the problem. That's what we're trying to address. So there was a, a, a several senators, I think Richard Shelby and several others that had a scandal in terms of insider trading. Can you talk a little bit about what happened there and what was the outcome? That, that particular issue, I don't have uh, enough information in front of me right now to address, but I do have a good uh, example is Tommy Tupperville, uh, the congressman down in Alabama. He has been one of the most vocal dissidents to trying to curb this issue, to try to prevent congressional insider trading from uh, being allowed to occur. He also is one of the most uh, on-the-record violators of what's known as the Stock Act, which is what was put in place in 2012 to govern congressional members in their mandatory reporting of the stocks they buy and sell. Uh, he was late by multiple months, uh, weeks to months, on most of his disclosures, and those, those late disclosures ended up adding up to almost $875,000. This is just a drop in the bucket to his actual holdings. But uh, congressmen like himself and many others out there, including uh, a lot of uh, libertarian darlings, uh, Rand Paul, for example, he is also caught up in all of this. And it's not a Republican or Democrat issue. I would say that Nancy Pelosi on the Democratic side, her husband's involvement is kind of what spurred this whole conversation. And it goes both ways. If you look at the, a lot of the charts that Insider has put together through their data from those disclosures that have occurred, you can see that it's widespread regardless of party affiliation. So in that regard, as, as the American public, I think we need to be taking a bigger focus as a nonpartisan issue and try to address this uh, for the benefit of everyone. Now, why are you being mean to these poor congressmen and women who just, you know, they have a right to trade stocks like the rest of us? I mean, really, at the end of the day, what is the problem with insider trading to begin with? It's just, you know, if you're just uh, better at life and more successful, don't you get a little bit of an edge? Like, why do you have such a problem with insider trading, Addison? Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, it's the American exceptionalism. Uh, I, I just so I have, it, I have it better than you. All, all animals are equal, except for other, uh, yeah, whatever their quote is. Yeah, we're all equal, except some of us are more equal. Um, right. George Orwell. Uh, well, you know, the big issue that I take with it is you have these congressional members who are supposedly running for an office of public importance. They are doing it because they want to represent constituents and then go before our federal government and try to make those constituent voices heard. Well, I can say as a voter of many different counties since I've moved around Florida in my life, I feel as if my congressman who is going to D.C. joins a committee and then uses information on that committee to then personally profit. 
then goes on congressional floor the very next day and votes against a bill that would probably help me as a citizen or the constituents in my community, all because that negative vote would pocket them more money when eventually their stock option comes due and they can sell it for a premium. Uh, that's the issue I take here. Insider trading on a private level, that's obviously uh, it's a federal crime. We handle those very, uh, the IRS will come after you and the Securities and Exchange Commission is launching investigations all the time. But when it comes to Congress, we think about who regulates these people, who is watching the watchmen in this regard. And it's the SEC and the Department of Justice who would have to come after these congressional members. Well, the SEC and the Department of Justice gets their funding based upon budgets voted on by Congress. So there's a con constant conflict of interest here of how do we govern this? How do we regulate it? And we just want to make sure that the public positions of trust, which is our congressmen, or you know, this also extends to the uh, judiciary, our judges, uh, we want people to be in those positions because they want to help the American public. They want to advance our, our society in that regard. We'd like to believe in truth and justice. But if you allow this type of insider trading to fester, I believe you're going to get more Tommy Tupperbills who want to get in there because they realize, well, hey, the public likes me. I can get in here and then manipulate my information for my personal gain, all the while my public is going to be uh, unbeknownst to it and still groveling amongst the swill with the normal people, uh, with their normal information, losing hundreds of thousands on the stock market every day, like so many do. So that that's my main issue with it. Yeah, it just it seems to contribute to the moral decline. I mean, I, I'm not under any illusion that moral like politics was ever some bastion of morality. Um, but I think in terms of the public, our standards for politicians are shrinking along with our respect. Um, you know, it, it, this just erodes trust in our Congress and in the federal government, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and that trust has been declining rapidly. Uh, I, I don't have I forgot the exact figures, but in the early 1920s, the Pew uh, their research had done the first ever polls of trying to figure out what the trust in government levels were. And, and back then they weren't exceptional, but they weren't below 50%. And the most recent one that was conducted just, uh, I think, a year or two ago, a uh, public trust of uh, government officials, primarily Congress, was under 30%. Uh, that's not good. Uh, that, that clearly is telling you that it's not even a partisan issue, because if it was, it'd be 49, 51 or something. But no, it's below 30%. And that tells us that we don't trust government officials, whether they're on our political affiliation or not. And that's problematic for multiple reasons. And furthermore, how are we to develop a government? How are we going to propose amendments to uh, state constitutions or legislatures when we can't even realize the ulterior motive of the people doing those things? We want to be able to trust them. So that erosion isn't just an erosion of our, our public trust. I think it's an erosion of our American system, our democracy as a whole. And let those type of issues fester. This is just stocks. This is just insider trading with stocks. What about issues that are much grander than this, that have direct impact on public health or public safety? And you begin to allow these things to kind of slip through the cracks. By the time you take notice, if you've waited too long, it's a little too late to patch the crack. Now you have a hole. So this is one of those things I think it's more prudent for us to try to address this now than try to let it to uh, continue. So with this uh, upcoming midterm, it'd be a good time to kind of make your voices known. Yeah, I led the witness a little bit. I think you mentioned on another podcast that I listened to that the, the Gallup poll that you mentioned was like in the 1950s, early 50s, and it was 86% yeah. trust in government. And now it's down, you know, below, below 20%, I think. Uh, and I yeah, it, but I think a lot of people kind of feel hopeless with this stuff. They feel that they have no real ability to rein the, these sorts of things in. I don't believe that. I'm I'm a firm believer in representative democracy and 
how many of you saying that have shown up to a city council meeting lately? Uh, and if you did, you'd probably make a big difference. I mean, so when you when you talk about this upcoming midterms, like how do you fix this? How do you approach this? Uh, it, it, this isn't inflation or Ukraine or something that's on top of mind, but obviously it's important. So how, how can we fix something that's not in people's top three? Yeah. And you brought up a great point there. And it's something that I, I think is the primary issue with our public right now is we only seem to care about things that are of our own personal importance. We're not, uh, as a society, putting a lot of credibility on issues like this in which we can't see on a day-to-day level the impact it's having on our lives personally. So that personal involvement, you remove that, you detach that from your average voter who doesn't really look into these type of things, who doesn't want to go beyond what's being told to them on either mainstream media networks or what they find their uncle posting on Facebook. Um, And let's be real, many people get their news from social media and those sources are unvetted. So without that personal importance, how is it do I convince, um, you know, Bob in in South uh, Fort Myers, Florida, that, uh, you know, his congressman has been pocketing hundreds of thousands of dollars off his his vote. Meanwhile, he hasn't received any type of uh, assistance when it comes to uh, zoning for his business, for example. Those type of bills are getting pushed and pushed. It's, it's just one of those tough questions, Chris, where where do we find that balance of political importance that also seems to align with the public's care? And, uh, you know, we're seeing that kind of firsthand right now with the sanctions with Ukraine. It's having impacts now at our gas pumps. It's having impacts potentially on other prices. So now there's going to be a direct impact to, hey, I don't know if I like these policies. It's impacting my personal day to day. So until we can find a way to, I think, make this something that the normal American cares about, it's going to be swept under the rug. Um, The best thing you can do is just look at the disclosure reports. Uh, Based upon the Stock Act, your congressman has to report what stocks they buy, sell, and trade uh, and see what they've been doing. And you know, right now it's permissible for them to purchase stocks. That's that's not the issue here. Many congressional members own stocks and haven't had any violations. It's the few that are are really, um, it's not so much the few, it's about a fifth that are, are, are spoiling the pool for the rest. So before you vote, all, all you can really ask is just look a quick, do a quick search on, on their disclosures. See if they've been the ones pocketing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in their position. If so, Maybe don't just pencil in that candidate because they have an R or a D next to their name and you agree with that political affiliation. Question it and maybe look into uh, another option. If not, uh, just vote independent. But by just giving votes to these people uh, and they'll see it, especially now that this has been something of the public conscience over the last year or so, uh, they'll see it come voting time that if they're still getting those votes, well, why should they change? Why should they care? It's clearly not something the public cares about. So the best way we honestly can make our voice known is, is the voting booth and um I know, like you said, people think that doesn't make an impact, but I promise you it does, especially when you uh, show up in numbers. It's the last consequence that we have. I mean, I mean, when you look at 2008, when you look at Iraq, nobody went to jail. When you look at 2008, nobody went to jail. When you look at the lack of testing, nobody went to jail. When you look at lockdown, like, like until people are held accountable, they don't change their behaviors. And politicians are 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 too long of a leash and the elections are our last ability and that's part of the reason that people want to erode the the faith in elections on either side is that they don't want you to think that you can hold them accountable because the second there's no accountability they can you know just pick the pocketbooks and feed a public trough like crazy you mentioned the stock act and this kind of drove me crazy this is uh you know i'm big on consequences i'm big on accountability you know i've got a a three-year-old in my house that I'm trying to teach to not behave like a congressman. 
Uh, and so consequences are important. And when I look at the, the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act that was passed in 2012. Great name. It doesn't sound like there's any consequences in it. Uh, yeah. So can that really be effective? Like, can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah. So the Stock Act, which was, as you said, was brought up in 2012. That was its initial introduction. And it's meant to provide uh, safeguards for congressional members who buy stocks. They have to disclose those stock uh, or options even, which for the uninitiated, an option is basically gambling in the stock market. You're buying the option to purchase a stock based upon a price that will either go up or go down in the future. That's where the big money's at. And that's where a lot of insider trading in Congress is occurring. But I digress. Uh, it was put into place. So these disclosures of those options and stock sales or purchases would have to be made within uh, usually every quarter or every few weeks. And But there's deadlines that have been set. And if you violate those deadlines, well, there were to be penalties. And those penalties were to range based upon either the value or the delay that you you made. But in actuality, what we've been seeing is uh, slap on the wrist fines, nowhere between $200 and $250. Uh, these fines and the accountability. Wait a minute. My government gives me speeding yeah. tickets more than that. <laughs> exactly. And the, the frustrating part of it all is the House and Senate ethic committees are the ones who also oversee the fines being levied. So here we have a, a situation where we have an act that was drafted and passed by Congress to govern Congress. And now the arbiters who govern the act are members of Congress punishing other members of Congress. Meanwhile, all these members of Congress are wrapped up in this. So it is. a And that, and that was the problem with Shelby and some of these other folks like, the, you know, a couple of years ago in the middle of, you know, for, for insider trading, they they received no penalties. No, I don't believe no. they, they really got off scot free. You know, it's Bob Menendez who's suffered probably the most uh, dire consequences for this kind of stuff. And he's still there. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's sort of a, a loose system. So when you're talking about accountability and, and looking, you know, I, I've heard you mention some of the, the top bad actors. You mentioned Pelosi. I heard you mention, um, the, uh, the really well-known Texas Congressman, the Republican from, uh, outside of Dallas, I believe it is, uh, Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. Like how, how, who are some of the worst in terms of insider trading in Congress? And where would you start if you were putting together a list of congressmen to target? It's funny you mentioned a list. I, I have, um, and actually, I, I wrote them down. The top uh, five uh, big violators here. We love, to, uh, you know, I've got my yeah. Dave Letterman top ten list book right over here. Yeah. So let's um, do our top five here at least. And so the top five are Austin Scott's number one. He leads the way uh, out of Georgia, Republican. Brian Mast out of Florida, Republican. French Hill, Arkansas, Republican. John Curtis, Utah, Republican. Dan Crenshaw. Texas Republican, and then closely followed by Dan Crenshaw is the first Democrat on the list of violators, which was Nancy Pelosi. She leads the way for all Democrats. Um, however, while it sounds like, oh, you have the top six or so being Republican, if you look at the list shortly after that, it, it becomes blue, 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 multiple in a row. Right. Um, Pelosi's name is just so, you know, as it's as, what leads all the headlines lately, because, like, yeah. I, you know, her husband is incredibly wealthy and probably has a tremendous amount of stocks. Right. Yeah, and, and I believe I just saw a report. It was just very recently they purchased another multi-million dollars in shares of Tesla. Uh, <laughs> so he and it was her husband who just did that. And whether that was before or after, you know, uh, his purchase of the Twitter stocks yesterday and becoming a, the primary shareholder of Twitter, Elon Musk. Um, 
it's it's all meanwhile everybody that votes for is leaving the mastodon because he bought it it's this nothing makes sense anymore like this is the stuff that drives me crazy is no but there's no there's no moral clarity i guess and that's really what i hear you saying is we've got to have some moral clarity in order to hold people accountable and and frustratingly enough too is that stock act in 2013 the following year very quietly um when it finally got to uh president obama's desk to sign in it was uh, parts of it were removed actually by Congress prior to getting to that final signing period. And it was very quietly done. So even though it passed, it was something of a skeleton of what it previously even was. Uh, whether it would have mattered anyway, uh, I don't think it would have just based upon the, the level of accountability we see with it being enforced. And, uh, you know, oddly enough, Pelosi very, you know, just a month or so ago, her statements were uh, one of the solutions to all of this is, well, how about we just enforce the Stock Act more? And then she very uh, soon after that made the point that she understands that it has been wholly inefficient in controlling the problem. So here you have someone calling for let's let's actually enforce this bill that we passed years ago and then openly admitting, well, that bill was just kind of a crock of nothing. It, it doesn't do anything. It's lip service. And uh, it kind of tells she you say that, this is like freedom of speech or what was the like? Yeah, we're, we are a free market economy. That's right. Yeah. In that. And yes, we are a free market economy. And yes, I think everyone should be able to participate. But uh, like a lot of roles, if you're in a position of, of power in that regard, especially a position of public trust, I think you have a fiduciary obligation to the, the voter to not violate that trust. So, um, you know, you hold your lawyer to a higher standard than you're holding your congressman. So, you know, give that some thought. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to insult the attorney on the air right now, but uh, (laughs) I don't have very good high standards for uh, I do for my attorneys. Um, But the other guy's attorneys, total bastards. Uh, All right. Addison Hosner, where can people follow you if they want to get in touch, ask you more or read more about this subject? And and you write about a lot of different things, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm all I'm usually all across the board. It's, uh, you know, basically anything that has a federal impact and anything that's impacting what I think is a, a an attack on a freer and, and more just society. I think it's something we should be, uh, you know, identifying not just as a partisan type country, but I, I look at everything, try to be as nonpartisan and objective about these issues as, as I think that's what you owe the American public in that regard. But if you'd like to hear more uh, or, or follow me, you can go on the young voices uh, website uh, and you'll find me under a talent page there with a link to everything I've done uh, as of late. And then of course you can go on Twitter. I don't tweet much. Um, I think there's already too much noise on the internet. But occasionally I'll, I'll say something and you can follow me at just a H O S N E R a Hosner. Um, and then, you know, last, if you'd like to connect on LinkedIn or something, feel free to find me there. But um, those are probably the best avenues. Oh, and if you want to follow more attorney content, uh, attorney Addison on Instagram, uh, attorney at underscore Addison, you can find me there. But thanks for letting me pitch all that. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what we're here for. You know, we are the noise on the Internet. We're here to help folks like you who think that, hey, we're clogging the Internet with all kinds of tweets. We're happy to throw you in on there as well. So yeah. thank you so much, Addison, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate being on. Thank you.